And just a disclaimer, we are not doctors. Information shared in this podcast is not meant as medical advice. We do not intend to diagnose, treat, or cure. We intend to delineate knowledge for educational purposes only. That was the longest week ever. Long time no see. Long time no see. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, welcome to Native Trees in a Bag of Weeds. I am your boy, Jared Wade. And I'm Messy. And we are here to talk about Native Trees and Weeds. Hey, hey. Hey, 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 hey. Um, in case you're new here, we chaotically discuss educational tidbits about Native ecosystems and how to use the weeds that grow yeah, in your backyard. And the, the funnest thing to me is for a long time I was kind of self-conscious, you know, because I'm just that way. Um, that we're kind of just reiterating what we learn as we do the show. To me, that's the funnest part. Like, I get so excited about learning some of these things. Yeah, I just can't wait to very, tell people, you know. I don't... I'm always afraid... Um, because you have a little bit of this in the herbalism community, um, where herbalists can get a little judgy mm -hmm. on other herbalists who talk about herbalism. Um, and I will be the first to admit, and I'm very, very new in this journey. Um, we are not experts. I don't think we've ever claimed to be. Um, this is a 100% learn as we go. The information that we're given is us doing research and pulling together information from the interwebs um, to provide to you to kind of help maybe give you resources or give you, give you kind of a basis understanding of these things so you can go do your own research. Um, I don't remember everything that I talk about and I don't use the things I don't talk I have, you know, herbs that I study and work with. Um that I would consider me more expertish in, you know, I obviously mm -hmm. know and have a relationship with herbs. I'm not knowing and making a relationship with all these herbs I talk about on this podcast. Um, yeah. and I will never claim to This is purely educational and fun way to learn and disseminate the knowledge that is available on the internet. Um, this is just kind and of, there's one of those nothing funner than disseminating about plants. Um, I just liked that word. I wanted to use it again. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where we were going. With that. You know, um, that I am excited. I am excited that did you know? So one of my mm. slow down, start over with your word. <laughs> Sorry, I have to tell our older two this yeah. all the time. One of my favorite finds on our property this year was the swamp rose hibiscus. Yes. That grew. There was five of them around the pond. And they were the beautiful biggest, white hibiscus beautifulest flower. flowers I've ever seen. And... It's a mallow. Yes, it is a mallow. And... One might call it a marsh. A marsh mallow. mallow. And I... Just as we learn, I also decided to try to learn my way into a native plant nursery. Um, and I'm still learning my way into that. But one of my first projects that I did was collect seeds um, from these wild, the swamp roses. And lo and behold, the seeds worked. And I've got over 200 that are germinated right now. Um, so that said, just a quick little throw in and out there that um, sometime this spring, once I get them... Uh, well-rooted and put into slightly larger pots and out of the seeding tray, they will be for sale on trees-and-weeds.com. Hey, yay! So that will likely be the first of Jared Wade Native Scapes plants. You gotta sales. start somewhere. Yeah, I'm you gotta, so excited And for you. I've also got several. Some didn't make it through the greenhouse. Catastrophe. Catastrophe. Destruction. Some demolition. didn't make it through my... Um, experimental ways of trying to propagate them but i still have a ton of elderberry that mm -hmm. is currently rooting and putting on new leaves so we will have i know we will have the swamp rose hibiscus i know we will have elderberry we will have beautyberry once those come into season those will be later this spring um once i get those propagated but we will have 
quite a bit of stuff going up on trees-in-swedish.com under the Jared Wade Native Scapes Bioplants section um, later this year. So just throwing that out there. <laughs> I was very excited to lift Picture up my, my, my greenhouse plastic today and see several little hibiscus plants that are germinating and popping well, up I take the my dirt. snide comment I made the other day about how you yeah, were seeding uh, your outside plants. No, they, and one side blew up from the wind and dried it out. Um, but I wet it, but it seems to like that greenhouse plastic just weighted down over the top of it. So mm -hmm. I'm leaving it there. They're doing good. It's I'm, working. It's working. And maybe once I sell these off, I can afford an actual greenhouse. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, but we're getting there. We're going places. And Gotta start somewhere. Yeah. Speaking of going places, we are going to our girl, Messy, to talk about what weed is in her bag tonight. <laughs> <This> <laughs> I do not know what's happening. This, what kind of, this plan was not put past me. I don't know what's going on. What I don't of, know why we're coming to me. What kind of um, weed you got in your bag tonight, Missy? <laughs> My brother is a cop. Uh, Make sure to be careful. That's fine. Anyway, I have a question for you since you don't have a well-structed question oh, for me. Okay. How's your Fat Tuesday? Um, It is very fat. I've eaten quite a bit. Yeah? And I've still got a meal left to go. Nice. Yeah, I'm not Catholic, so we're not celebrating it in the traditional way. <laughs> I wanted to kind of talk about Fat Tuesday since today is Fat This doesn't get released on yeah. Fat Tuesday, but we're recording Fat Tuesday. So in true messy um, fashion, you will hear it after the fact, oh, yeah. much yeah. like our Valentine's episode. I, I'm more likely to celebrate Fat Tuesday with like a PH Fat Tuesday. I'm sure how they truly intended Yes. Yeah. Probably so. And the good news is, um, even if you do celebrate Fat Tuesday, fish is still on the menu. What's your fact? What is your factoids about? We could call it Factoid Tuesday. Go ahead. You just go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so confused. Um, so I, I always kind of knew it came from Catholic roots. And I think it goes way back even to one of those things that yet again, the Catholic church overtook from pagan culture mm -hmm. in their, um, t overtaking Rome. Um, but it wasn't always what it is today where it's this big gaudy par parade and celebration in New Orleans. It was simply the day before Lent, which starts tomorrow mm -hmm. on Wednesday. Um, and when this comes out, it will have been in effect for a week, but it was the day before Lent where I didn't get the pagan roots of it. Other than that, there were some places that said that it was probably a holiday that the mm -hmm. Romans came in and tried to blend into theirs or whatever. Um, the Roman Catholic church tried to take credit for it. Of course. By yeah. saying, let me find it. Hold on. No, that, yeah. Um, I had an article here that was just posted last week from Country Living that really um, laid it out really well. So apparently it was originally a pagan spring-like festivity. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, Christianity came to Rome and became the Roman Catholic Church, and they blended with it, um, just like they did, I mean, Christmas was that also, um, and so then what resulted were a festival where people drank, feasted, danced, and partied before the abstinence period of Lent. However, some experts disagree. I disagree after hearing the second theory, um, because that last one makes it sound like the Roman Catholic Church took credit mm -hmm. for these festivities before Lent. Um, it makes more sense to say that all this partying was a response, was the people's response to the Roman Catholic Church prohibiting <laughs> um, sex and meat during Lent. Mm. So everybody, it's kind of like when they told me not to eat after midnight before my induction. Oh, yeah. And I ate a big giant bowl of Olive Garden pasta at 11 mm. o'clock at night. It's exactly what the Romans did when the Catholic church said no sex and meat and Lent. They were like, all right, day before they just gorged on mm -hmm. milk, meat and cheese to just 
stock their bodies as much as they could before they couldn't eat it anymore. Um, that sounds more likely yeah, to me. Accurate. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then of course, you know, it made its way, um, that, that's essentially the basis of Fat Tuesday and why it's referred to as Fat Tuesday because Lent is always on a Wednesday yeah. and the Tuesday before Lent, you gorge yourself. You on, get fat and happy. Yeah, get fat <laughs> and happy. Um, and of course that made its way. France brought it over. Um, France is where the name Mardi Gras came from because that is Fat Tuesday and translated into English. The French brought it over to mm-hmm. Louisiana and made it a really large Cajun and Creole holiday. No, no, no. Let's correct that is it began over here in Mobile, Alabama. I was going to get there. We started sir, in Mobile. Because it is controversial on whether yeah. New Orleans or Mobile has true claim to the first Mardi Gras celebration. And the article continues with that um, many people say say that Mobile holds it on a technicality because um where was it? Because the city was officially founded about uh, like over 10 years before New Orleans. Yeah. So while the city of Mobile might have been the first city to celebrate, it's only because New Orleans wasn't actually declared a city, is what oh, okay. they say. Oh, okay. It's what they say. So, um, yeah, so th- that's in the... This Country Living articles, I'll quote it, yeah. where the first official celebration actually happened, however, is up to up to constant debate. Both Mobile, Alabama and New Orleans, Louisiana are said to have hosted the first Mardi Gras. Some say Alabama holds the title on a technicality. The city was officially founded over a decade before the Big Easy. So, yeah. And then, um, of course, New Orleans hosted their first Mardi Gras parade in 1837 and they've been happily partying since yep yep and i just you can eat fish though fish is not meat and that's my i I tell people that all the time and even jake agrees that's a vegan he's like fish ain't meat and even ron swanson says he still doesn't eat fish because he's a vegan yeah ron swanson most notorious gentleman of our society (laughs) once quoted um that fish is not meat fish is practically a vegetable so (laughs) Okay, wise words. <laughs> um, but anyway, that I'm, I didn't exactly pick an herb that is Mardi Gras themed. Instead, my herb can help cure you of the ailments that might come from so much indulging and gorging <laughs> on meals such as meat, cheese, and I know what you're doing. Milk. King cake. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> We're gonna find the baby. <laughs> Um, no. So... <laughs> Since fish is a vegetable, can you cover that in bag of weeds? <laughs> Apparently. According to Ron Swanson. Sure. Yeah. Do a Ron Swanson dedicated episode. Yeah. 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 Um, no. Yeah. So the herb I'm covering tonight works really well, um, to cure indigestion from overindulgence. Uh, so it would be really the, handy the Pepto on of that herbs. Tuesday. The Pepto of herbs. Mm. In your defense, there are several, yeah. um, but this one is its primary action. Like the, it's a short episode tonight because like the main thing this herb does is carminative. Is it native? Not to North America. Where is it native to? Mediterranean and South Russia. Is it a leaf? Russia and We're talking about the leaf, the herb of the plant? You can use, the leaf is the primary thing that we know of being used, but you okay. can also use the seed and the flowers. Um, it what? is um, related to the last two herbs that I covered and as part of the carrot family. Okay. Rhubarb. No. Ugh. I'm, I, I don't know. It's also related to an herb that I will probably cover it next week, so you'll have a jump ahead. But I used it last night. I don't know what you used last yes, night. Yes, you do. We talked about it. Fennel. Yeah. 
That's not what I'm talking about. It's uh, related to it. <laughs> Gotcha. Oh, in case you wanted to know what herb makes Italian sausage Italian sausage. It's 100% fennel. It is fennel. We, yeah. yeah. We added some to the deer sausage that we did for the spaghetti. I was so upset oh, we didn't have any Italian sausage. And I prefer Italian sausage in my spaghetti. Using just plain meat doesn't hit the spot. And I was saying the thing, I was like, it's just the seasoning that makes it. I can do that. So I looked up a recipe for Italian sausage seasoning, mm -hmm. and it was this list of Italian herbs. And fennel was at the top, and I was like, I don't have fennel. I'll just skip that one. And, you know, sometimes I just omit oh, yeah. things in recipes. Sometimes. Very often I omit things <laughs> in recipes and replace them with what I do got. We work with what we got around here. Um, and so I added in all the other stuff, and I'm like, none of this is making this taste or smell like Italian sausage. And then I remembered I had a teeny bit of fennel from the witch that hexed you. In mm -hmm. North Carolina? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think we've told that story on here yet. Have we not? I don't know. You've told it on TikTok. You haven't yeah, told, it haven't on told it on here. We'll have to get to that one day. Yeah. Um, anyway, I went, I went into a store looking. I was like, do you have any herbs for nausea? It was fennel that she got me. So that was like, I do have some fennel. Came in here and I started grinding it up. And as I'm grinding, the smell hits me. And I immediately realized that That's is what Italian sausage. Italian sausage smells like. And it's fennel, it seems to be a key ingredient in even breakfast sausage. Mm -hmm. and a lot of, but it's very prominent in yes. Italian sausage. Yeah. And it doesn't take much. And we're it not really talking about fennel. Much. We're not. No. But it, this is very, very related to fennel. I'm about as good at um, your herb descriptions as you are with my tree descriptions. <laughs> I don't have any other good hints for this, though. Um, <sighs> the I'll give you the Norse... Re uh, <laughs> How about the first half of the word? <laughs> D. D's nuts? <laughs> no. <laughs> You're just excited that somebody texted you the other day uh, and told you how hysterical they found that, that joke. I'm staying with my boy Plenty. Um, you just gonna have to tell me. I don't know. I ain't got a freaking clue. Um, so the word it's anethum graviolin. It's a scientific term. I know that gives you the answer. Um, it's in the Epiaceae family or the carrot family. Um, native to the Mediterranean and southern Russia. So it's most, I'm um, trying to pick which hint I want to give you. The, um, so its name comes from the Norse word that means to soothe, um, which is direct correlation to what it does. Um, so its most popular culinary use is in the making of pickles. Deal. There you go. Ah, yeah. You got it. Good job. I'm so good at this. So proud of you. Uh. Yes, yeah, so we're talking about dill. Uh, dilly okay. dilly. <laughs> and it comes from the nurse word dilla or dila. It's D-Y-L-L-A. Um, and means to soothe. So um, if I only use dill and pickles, but apparently it's very common in other dishes. Oh, yeah. For example, uh, Sri Lanka uses dill um, flower heads in salads. Uh, the French sprinkle sprinkle dill on pastries and other baked goods which sounds oh, interesting um holland steeps dill in milk and makes a milk dill tea to help them sleep hmm. i mean those are just some things there were a lot of other um ways to use dill um i know it, it is used in different like dips and stuff um it's very go pairs very well with salmon yeah i could see that um, so know. like you were talking about fish, I think it just yeah. pairs very well with Mardi Gras, even though yeah, it wasn't mentioned in anything I'm Mardi Gras related. I'm not experienced with dill, but now I'm interested. Mm -hmm. I'm intrigued. I'm going to have to try some on some, I love salmon. Yeah. So I'm interested to try some dill on well, salmon. Well, let's make some. But I would like to grow some this year. Yeah, let's make some. I almost bought some the other day. Mm -hmm. I'd like to grow um, some. Let's do some salmon patties mm -hmm. with dill in it. Sounds yeah. nice. Okay. Or like a... Like a dill sauce. I think tzatziki sauce is dill based mm. with salmon. That yeah. sounds really, that sounds delicious. Um, dill is also used quite a bit in the fragrance industry for like soaps, perfumes, detergents, things like that. So dill was recommended in the Egyptian Ebers, which is the, as we've talked about, the most ancient medicinal literature that we have. 
Um, it was in a recipe for a pain-killing mixture. Oh. The Greeks covered their eyes in dill fronds to help them sleep. Okay. So like an eye mask, but with dill leaves. Is that why we so put... So you just smell like dill pickles So maybe instead of putting cucumbers on your eyes, you Should just put be dill. pickles. Pickles. The best of both worlds. Yeah. You've got the best of both worlds. We don't sing on this podcast. I have to when you say the words. <laughs> I can't not sing it when mm. you say it. I was joking because I literally sang like 15 songs in the last That's one. That's fair. Yeah. You really did. Uh, in the Middle Ages, it was burned to clear thunderclouds. <laughs> the Middle Ages were weird, man. I mean... <laughs> who's to say they like were the wrong? the opposite you know? of a rain dance. Yeah, but who's to say they were wrong? I don't know. Um, they're probably smarter than we were. Especially you got rain dances and then just burn some dill when you got yeah. too much of what you danced for. <laughs> uh, people also believed that it repelled witchcraft so much that they would, that they believed dill, like drinking dill tea, mm -hmm. cured hexes. Like if you got hexed by a witch and drank some dill tea, it would... Cure your witch hex. It will dill pickle juice will also alleviate cramps. It absolutely will. Yeah, and if you put it on a little Q-tip and rub it in your nose, if you get your nose busted, it'll stop the bleeding. That's because vinegar is amazing. Yeah. Um. In Germany and Belgium, brides would attach a sprig of dill to their wedding gowns. Um, or carry it in their bouquets in hopes that it would bless their marriage. Oh. That's sweet. And I imagine it makes a very pretty greenery in bouquets. Oh, yeah. um, who we've talked about, is a Greek doctor and surgeon. He wrote that scorched dill seeds were used um, to help heal wounded soldiers. Uh, the Romans also did this. Pliny wrote that dill could, quote, stayeth the hickets. Any idea for what that means? What is your best guess? Stayeth the hickets? Yes. So stayeth would be to keep something, to hang on to something. It will help you. I don't know what a hicket is. So, the hiccups? You are correct yeah. on hiccups being the hiccups, but so you get stayeth doesn't mean to keep. Yeah, I see that now. Why yeah. would you want to? Like, I need to keep. That's these. a really yeah. good guess, though. Yeah. Yes, the stayeth the hiccups, or it was known as a hiccup remedy. I speak early age. Me and Plenty, we're one and the same. Okay. Dill seeds were chewed to freshen the breath and stew and soothe. Stomach aches. And now this reminds me of how my mother uses peppermint. <laughs> oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Because it also soothes mm -hmm. stomach aches. Stomach aches and freshens your breath. But dill seeds do the same just without the minty freshness. Yeah. To help raise money to repair the London Bridge. That fell down. Yes. I was trying to remember the rest of the London song. London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. My Fair Lady. My Fair Lady. I couldn't oh, yeah. think of what the rest of it was. Why are we on nursery rhymes tonight? I don't know. We did one last episode, too. Yeah, all around the mulberry bush. We did. Yeah. Anyway, to repair the London Bridge because it was falling down, um, Edward I. My man, Ed. He, he decided to tax dill and other imported What a herbs. dill weed. They should throw it in the harbor. <laughs> That's what I'd do. <laughs> anyway, he taxed uh, dill and all the other herbs that were being imported into the harbor in order to pay to have the... Because he didn't have the money to fix it. Yeah. So he just made the people pay for it. Yeah. Um, the FDA considers dill, um, both seed and oil, as generally safe. The grass generally... Mm -hmm. Referred as safe. I don't remember what that stands for. Um, many mentions of traditional use for colicky infants, including recipes um, with chamomile and lemon balm. And dill is actually the key ingredient in the original gripe water. So if your baby's colicky, let them suck on a dill pickle. 
you're going to get a lot of vinegar from that. It's, it's going to be mostly vinegar. But I mean, I don't know. That's still interesting, though. Dill pickles are I remember a side. Water with that yes. middle child in there. We yeah, gripe water was our friend. Yes. Sort of. It didn't really usually do anything because nothing stopped him. It from did straining. for a little bit, and then he, I think he yeah. just got immune to it. But today's over-the-counter gripe water, um, Mommy's Bliss, yeah. any of Zarbies, you know, whatever brand. It's um, it's vegetable glycerin based. Okay. And uh, the herbs included in that is going to be ginger and fennel. Hmm. Uh, because as, as much as they used it historically for its stomatic benefits, mm -hmm. there isn't a lot of research behind that aspect of dill. Yeah. Um, which is just crazy that we even need research. Like, we need evidence if research. Worked. If we literally have centuries of yeah. of literature from people who yeah. basically did the research before the and, FDA. And that's the thing with science is I don't think the FDA should be the ones no, doing the it. No, the FDA invented the science. Yeah. The research yeah, that, didn't happen before the FDA. I'm saying there's a place where science Sarcasm. can improve upon right. ancient, ancient beliefs and mm -hmm. and uses for things but the fda they just they do their own thing yeah. and it's they tax the deal yeah basically uh, but anyway researchers have found that dill inhibits the secretion of stomach acids in mice and may help prevent ulceric ruptures mm. which is fun that's the only research i found on it hip in the stomach as for yeah. stomach ulcers yeah. There are animal studies that suggest dill extract can help prevent and manage type 2 diabetes and lower cholesterol. <laughs> a study published in the American Journal of Therapeutics reported that a water extract of dill had significant antidepressant and analgesic properties, um, and even when compared to drugs like sertraline or um, tramadol. And sertraline, I think, is Zoloft. Okay. So... It had antidepressant properties compare, as compared to Zoloft and analgesic properties as compared to Tramadol. Um, and then there were tons of research on its anti-cancer properties because dill is highly antioxidant. Yeah. So all of the things that come with it being antioxidant, there's lots of research on that, on specific compounds being antioxidant and their benefits. Um, so you have all that. And I beat that horse to death. Yeah. So we're not and I'm... Now fully convinced because of this podcast that antioxidants are the key to a long and healthy I am life. also convinced they're in literally every whole food. Yes, yes. Like if they we are. just ate a whole food diet, we would have a diet rich it, in antioxidants. Especially even with red meat, which they're trying to demonize now, the amino acids you get from red meat. Yeah. And then you, your fruits and your veggies and the antioxidants. If you just ate a whole food diet... You would be eating the way nature. I intended. landed on a post in like a rebbing, rebbing, a rebel canning Facebook group where yeah, they I read had... about rebbing all the time. <laughs> that sounds dirty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it is. I don't know what it is, no, but I'm sure. Don't it is. don't look that up. Um. Anyway, I landed on a Facebook post where they had canned a bunch of lard, and they had like loads of jars of lard, mm -hmm. and talked about you know how their family had. Um, used lard for years and, you know, blah, blah. And of course the comments were full of a bunch of people talking about how bad it was for your arteries and la-di-da. Mm -hmm. And that's just some of the garbage that yeah. has been fed to us to keep us on the processed stuff and keeps us throwing out our pork fat. Yep. Um, because it's really not true. Lard is very nutrient very. dense. Um, does it have that possibility? Sure, it's a fat. Um, but if you're already, if you're having a diet that's high in antioxidants and you have the nutrients that you're getting from it, those benefits are going to outweigh each other versus using vegetable oil, that's which we're told to use, that has no nutrients and is definitely going to clog everything. And the everything. thing is, even your seed oils, if it was in a more basically extracted form, probably wouldn't be as bad as they are, but they're so refined and mm -hmm. so processed. Yeah that you've alleviated any remote nutritional content that 
could yeah. have been there. For that matter. And your body don't know what to I do with read, it. I read the other day the difference in sugars. Mm-hmm. And that white sugar that we buy um, is so refined. It's had every nutrient possible yeah. bleached out of it. And that raw cane sugar yeah. is nutrient dense. Like you can actually get mm-hmm. nutrients from your raw cane why, sugar. Yeah. And that's just so bizarre to me. And you know, it costs more. To, to process get, it. No, right. But I'm yeah. saying like, if you were to go buy raw oh, sugar yeah. at the store, I bought a bag because I wanted to make some demerara syrup, which mm-hmm. you make using cane sir- cane sugar and you make a syrup out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went, I wanted to buy some and it's so expensive compared to oh, yeah. just white granulated sugar. And that makes no sense to me. And it's like it, and flowers the same way. Mm-hmm. If you want to get unbleached flour or whole wheat flour, or any of that, it's going to cost you more than the bleached and enriched kind mm-hmm. where they've pro- over-processed everything out of it and then put back in artificial nutrients. That's mm-hmm. what enriched means, by yeah. the way. Your enriched makes it sound like it's positive. Flour is enriched because they took all the natural nutrients out of it that your body easily digest and put in yeah. fake supplemental nutrients that your body doesn't digest very easy and it costs more <laughs> to get the stuff they didn't have uh, to put all the work into yeah, if you look at like the cane syrup that my grandfather makes yeah um and then even you know we've talked on the podcast about maple syrup and the health benefits of maple syrup yeah. um it, it, it's just yeah, naturally. Natural stuff natural has its foods. own nutrients yeah. that our body was literally designed to digest and absorb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've been brainwashed to think that refined vegetable oil and bleached flour and granulated sugar that all has... and pasteurized milk with added vitamin A and D into it is Why what we need. Why you gotta add stuff to it? It anyway, had it in there yeah, to begin with. Yeah. It had it and more <laughs> in it to begin with before you messed with it and had to add stuff back to it. Yeah. It's uh, frustrating. Deal. So we were talking we about We haven't deal. gone on a rant in a while. Yeah, so there you go. And it was a short episode, so. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, on that note... Nutrient-wise, with dill, you would have to eat a cup of dill to get any nutrient value from it, which obviously you're not going to do. Dill is one of those very pungent, aromatic herbs that you're just going to sprinkle in. The most use you get of a dill is when you put like several sprigs in your Mm -hmm. dill pickle jar, Um, and I don't know anybody that eats those, though I'm interested. Basically pickled dill. So I'm, right. I'm interested. I have some in there. Can you pickle like... You can I know pickle we, anything. I know we did the honeydew rinds. Mm-hmm. That I, Those did not turn no, out good. It turned out too sugary. But even like watermelon or cantaloupe. I know yeah. you can do the rinds. What, mm-hmm. what about like the whole fruit? Like They're with the, too watery. I would they would think just, so. They would yeah. just fall apart and dissolve. Yeah. Because watermelon, the, just, the pulp is like yeah. just fruit sugar. Cantaloupe maybe. I don't know. Look into that. It's anyway. a little denser than watermelon, but it's gonna just dissolve. Yeah. I would, I would really I bet think the seeds are good it too. may not, because cucumbers a melon. Yeah, it's in the melon family. Yeah, and it doesn't fall apart. You do like green watermelon. What if you did like an unripe watermelon? Speaking of green, dilly beans. Oh, so good. I'm making yeah. some this year. Yeah, absolutely. Pickled green beans. Yeah, they're called dilly beans. I love them. I'm making some, so I, I need them. you to get to grow in some. I'm trying my dill. best, lady. Trying my best. Dill. And green oh, beans, deal. but okay. deal. Yeah. yeah, you don't. Ha- you're not doing that yet because you ain't got no seeds. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you're you're not gonna eat enough dill to get any nutrient value. It is high in like vitamin A and iron, but like I said, you would have to eat a cup yeah. to get even one percent of That's your why daily value. A well-rounded diet, yes. including herbs in that diet of your whole foods, you're gonna get all yeah. these things. Um, so the dill seed has is five percent volatile oil. Um, that is mostly philandrine and limonene, both of which are highly antioxidant, Mm -hmm. antiviral, and anti-cancer. Dill leaves are very high in carvone, which is the oil that gives it its aromatic and pungent scent. It is also what makes it so carminative. Like Mm -hmm. it is the key compound in dill is carvone. Um, there's also some vitamin P 
Hey! Which we said was... I know it was rooting. Flavonoids! Yeah! Coumarins, yeah. uh, xanthones, and triterpenes um, are also in dill. Um, actions, like I said, the key action of dill is it's carminative. Now, I had a mm -hmm. lot of other uses, but the main thing that I found everywhere was its uses on gas, hiccups, indigestion. Um, it is an antispasmatic is another um, key action of dill, mm -hmm. and that works mainly on your digestive system. A lot of colic, mm -hmm. indigestion, um, GI cramps, diarrhea, all that stuff is caused by an overactive digestive system. So anything that's antispasmatic, peppermint is also, it will mm -hmm. calm the, that muscle. So anything that is going to keep your guts from spasming, like that is painful. That's what yeah. causes gut pain is spasm. So dill's going to stop all that. Okay. So that's why it works so well for the digestive system. Um, it's also a mild diuretic, so it's going to pull fluids out of the tissues and help flush them out. Um, it was also used a lot as a galactagogue, so it was used um, to help women lactate and hmm. to promote milk flow. It is anti-inflammatory, um, has some analgesic properties, and possibly nervine. I didn't find a whole lot of information on it, um, but it helps with sleep. It's been touted as an antidepressant. Um, good for nerve pain. It helps you sleep. I said that already. Um, <laughs> I need some sleep. Uh, so that kind of leads me to think I didn't find anything that specifically said it's a nervine. Um, yeah. But if it's doing all those things, those yeah. are nervine things, you yeah. know? Um, again, it's highly antioxidant, antiviral, and antibacterial. You can use the leaves, flowers, essential oil, seeds. Like I said, it's got a high culinary use. You can make a tea. A tincture, um, those would work really well for um, for any gut issues. You could also make the tea or the tincture into a syrup, um, add it into some vegetable glycerin as like some homemade gripe water. It's generally considered safe, so it's safe for children. Um, obviously, I wouldn't go making a super concentrated yeah. form of dill oil or dill tincture. Um, and do your own research, you know, obviously mm -hmm. before you go mixing it up. But it is considered generally safe and was in the original form of gripe water, which I think was water, alcohol, and dill. And that's probably, yeah. <laughs> which basically sounds like a tincture, a yeah. dill tincture. Um, and then people frowned upon giving your children alcohol. So um, that's not how that's made anymore. Um, again, I mentioned earlier that in Holland they make a dill milk tea. Um, to help them sleep. And there's several things that you can put into milk. Um, like a turmeric milk is really good. Um, but yeah, dill, you know, okay. I I'm, haven't played with milk teas, but apparently yeah. milk teas are a it thing. It sounds delicious too. It does. Yeah. yeah. I've, um, I don't know. I might dabble into that because, you know, I like, I like putting liquor in milk. Yeah. My first cocktail I ever learned how to make was i I loved Di Sirono, and I say mm. first cocktail loosely because the one of the times I really enjoyed um, Di Sirono was when me and Eva went to the lake out in Fort mm -hmm. Rucker. We stopped by the store and got a pack of Dr. Peppers yeah. and a Di Sirono because we were trying to find something easy to mix on the lake, and we would drink a little bit of the Dr. Pepper and fill it <laughs> with Di Sirono. So that was probably technically my first cocktail that I ever made. Yeah. But then I liked Di Sirono so much that I kept it. It was the only liquor that I had on, you know, pretty much on stock. Um, so I wanted to know what else you can make with it. And one of the things I found was milk and Di Sirono on ice. There you it's go. freaking delicious. Yeah. Um, that was a tangent. But yeah, so I find you can put more things in milk. Yeah. And it's pretty good. Um, and then you can chew on the seeds. And that's going to give you kind of a peppermint benefit where you get fresh <laughs> breath. And it's also going to release, you know, your digestion starts in your mouth. Um, so you're going to release some of those oils and stuff from the seed. Seed also contains carbone just like the leaves do. Um, so it's going to release that compound and your body's going to start absorbing it and 
you'll get the carminative benefit from that as well. So if you've got the hiccups, if you've got an upset tummy, maybe chew on some dill seed or some dill, eat a pickle, you know? Pickles yeah. are a side dish Absolutely. on a lot of things. You get them if you go to any, um, like, sub restaurant, like oh, Firehouse yeah. Subs or mm -hmm. most places like that. Dang, I'm craving that. Pickles are usually on the side, and that may be why. Show enough. You may get some of the carminative benefit from a pickle. I don't yeah. know that to be true. I didn't look that up. But it's worth looking into, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's what I got on dills. Well, dilly dilly. Willy willy. <laughs> that's the Bud Light thing. Dilly what? Dilly dilly. Oh, I remember that. That's the Bud Light forever. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Anyway, that's cool. I know more about dill now. <laughs> that, uh, that was a really good deal. i my computer now. <laughs> I cannot because I still have to record my half. So, I'm going to let you guess what I'm talking about. Oh, this I don't one. know if I'm ever going to get this one. You'll, you know this one already. <laughs> Bayberry. Which Bayberry? Yeah, it's Bayberry. <laughs> <laughs> he Bay couldn't hide this one from me. Yeah. He was so excited when he found it. Uh, and I didn't, this was been, this has been our little, uh, when we decided to do two podcast recordings at one time, it's kind of a last minute put together notes, but there was, it was very interesting. So I was down in the woods. Yeah. You complained that you didn't want to wait to record an episode on Bayberry. And I was like, I why don't we just do two since I have yeah. to go to work? Well, I was, and we're behind a week. I was in the woods and I looked down and there's tons of yopon sprouting everywhere. That's like six to eight inches tall um, that I'm planning on transplanting to up here. And there was this one, I could tell that it wasn't Yopon. The leaves looked similar, but way bigger. And the serrations were way more pronounced. And they were like darker green. I'm like, that's weird. Um, then I was down there with Georgia, and we looted it up, and it was Bayberry. And I didn't think nothing of it. I'm like, oh, that's just some random thing sprouting. Well, it turns out that Bayberry is like a very traditional, very highly sought after <laughs> very useful little tree um that is notorious like worldwide for its uses and, and i love that it's that notorious and yet we've never heard of it yeah and even like uh most of your herbal shops like where you buy your mm -hmm. herbs in bulk they have um i've seen it yeah, yeah. they've had they have bayberry yeah bayberry root bark um and there's bayberry yeah, i've seen it on yeah. my shops and i just scroll past it because it's not one of those that i've bayberry studied. root bark supplements are mm -hmm. pretty easily attainable um on most of your supplement shops so i was like huh it is also not I, the one we found is southern bayberry there's a few different native varieties of bayberry there's a northern bayberry on um, the ones we have here is southern bayberry which is bay um <laughs> you're gonna love my pronunciation of this the scientific name is Merica, <laughs> and I ain't even joking. It's Merica oh Carolinius. Oh, As <laughs> M Y R I C A. Yeah, for anybody wondering, Merica Carolinius is the southern bayberry. Um, Merica cerifera um, is common bayberry. Then there's Merica pennsylvanacea. Um, which is your northern bayberry. There's also Chinese bayberry. There's bayberry all around the world. Um, this native like to different, yeah, native to different regions of the world. And another common name for your bayberry is a wax myrtle. Mm -hmm. um, I have heard that. So the bark is very resemblant of like a crepe myrtle tree, mm -hmm. of a myrtle tree. Um, and the wax myrtle um, part comes from its use as a wax from the berries, which we'll get into in just a little bit. It can also be called a candleberry tree, a waxberry tree. There's like tons of names for it. Um, but wax That's myrtle. That's very interesting. Um, uh, wax myrtle and bayberry are your, your standard mm -hmm. common names for it. I really like, um, I know crepe myrtles aren't native and I don't like them anyway. I don't find them pretty. Um, they're annoying to, you know, prune and stuff, but they're wood. The wood's cool. Stout. Yeah, the wood's cool. His grandmother um, had some massive ones in her yard, and they were trimming trees and trimmed, like, some big old limbs off mm -hmm. of her crepe myrtle. And I went digging through all these pile of limbs because I was trying to fashion a better roost mm -hmm. set up for the chickens. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get some limbs and put some limbs together and make a little limb ladder for them. You know, why complain that I can't afford wood at Lowe's when I'm literally surrounded by wood? So 
um, I went and picked out some really, you know, straight pieces of crepe myrtle. And I mean, those things are, that's It reminds solid me a lot wood. of sycamore wood. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. It's very, very stout. It doesn't get hollow in the middle though. Doesn't, yeah. wasn't sycamore the one that got hollow? Yeah, get the, yeah. the heartwood of a sycamore tends to yeah. rot really quickly where the, the But it is similar. Rot. Yeah, it's yeah. not, but I mean, that's, that was heavy duty. Yeah. It was pretty solid. Um, bayberry, it is an evergreen shrub. Um, they can grow, depending on the variety, I saw some varieties that grow up to like 20, 30 feet tall, foot tall. The southern bayberry that, that we have here is going to be 6 to 12 foot tall. It's an understory, okay. wetland, well-draining, moist. Yeah, a little shrubby. Um, there are species worldwide, um, but there are very few native to the U.S., just like I said. Um, and it is a nitrogen fixer, so... It's highly cultivated for like ornamental and a landscaping tree is use. A nitrogen fixer? Yes. Usually you hear that with like peas and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's a very popular shrub for landscaping and ornamental use worldwide. Mm -hmm. Like highly cultivated for that. And one perk to it is it will grow in poor soil and it will adapt to a wide variety of soils because it is a nitrogen fixer. It can mm -hmm. adapt to that soil very well so it's Makes a great sense. one to add to your landscape if you wanted an evergreen shrub or an, a small evergreen tree in your landscape this is a good option to have um and so can chickens eat them i'd have to look more into that for chickens now they're they're mildly considered toxic in high doses to humans as far as the berries mm -hmm. um but you know we can look into that so why is it called a candleberry or a waxberry tree? Yeah, and that's that's an interesting uh, statement. I, I had like never heard of this, but apparently there's like an old traditional story of the lore or the legend of the bayberry candle. And apparently bayberry candles are like a huge thing that I've never heard of. Um, but people, so back in the day, uh, colonial times, you know, um, when your early settlers had arrived and got here, people would generally burn candles. Um, back in the day, your candles were generally made of what? Tallow or beeswax. Mm -hmm. That's what your candles were made out of. Um, but the bayberry candles, they set harder than beeswax. They smell better than tallow. Um, and they don't produce hardly any smoke at all. And they're very fragrant. Yeah. So it's like the best all-around wax for a candle, so period. It's like pre-fragrant yes wax that mm -hmm. is really cool um so they were generally just much better candles than tallow or than beeswax mm -hmm. but the problem of it is was that because they were so sought after much of your lower class families couldn't afford to burn bayberry candles year round so they would collect and cook down the bayberries for the wax and they would save their bayberry candles for christmas and for special occasions oh. so it became a very christmasy oriented mm -hmm. Can't like usually when you see your long stemmed candles, like your big tall wax candles that are red, mm -hmm. it's a, a mimicking a bayberry candle. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was like, huh, I had never heard of this whatsoever. Yeah. But cool to learn. Um, so if you wanted to make your own candles, you take the berries, you boil them, the wax rises to the top of the water, you scoop it out, and you let it harden. Mm -hmm. And you got your candle wax. And the way that you do it on the long stem is you take your wick. You would take a really long wick and you just dip it repeatedly in the mm -hmm. hot wax until it gets it the collect. width you yeah, want. That's how you and you do it. it on both sides. So you have two candles with, and you just hang it and let it dry. Yeah. And you cut it and you got two candles. It takes about 15 pounds of berries to make one pound of wax. That's not too bad. That sounds doable. That's and for a pound of wax will probably get you pretty far hey, in the candle game. That beeswax bag of, that I have over there, that's a pound. Each yeah. bag is a pound. And that one makes several of those yeah. little pint candle, half pint yeah. candles that I made for Christmas. Um, yeah. What was I going to say? I don't know. Nope, it's gone. Okay. Well, with the wax and the fragrance and the texture mm -hmm. of it, it's also used a lot in soaps. It's a very cool, a very good um, soap berry to yeah. use for the fragrance. I would imagine you would you, you could probably use it just like you do beeswax, where you use yeah. it to harden salves and things mm -hmm. like that. Oh, I remember what I was going to say now. You said you're boiling the berries to get the wax off. Can you make jelly with it? 
you could. There are other uses okay. for, especially the water that comes off of the berries mm -hmm. um, that we'll get into in just a little bit. Okay. Um, more on uh, bayberry candle lore. On um, Folklore says that if you light a brand new bayberry candle on Christmas Eve, you will have health, wealth, and prosperity for the new year. And you absolutely must burn it all the way down to the bottom. Probably takes a while. Yep. The legend of the Bayberry Candle says that a Bayberry Candle burnt to the socket brings food to the larder and gold to the pocket. Ah, oh, like that. How have I never heard of these? I don't these? know, but I don't that's know. so cute. This was like everywhere. Now I want to make a Bayberry Candle this I year know. to burn We're gonna. I'm about to move that joker to our yard. <laughs> um, bayberry essential oil is a byproduct of the candle making process um, and historically has been used as a gargle for sore throats and mouth ulcers. Oh. And some say that the water from the process was consumed for dysentery. Um, which is what, when we get into the medicinal properties of the berry, that's going to be the primary use mm -hmm. of the berry is dysentery. Um, digestive issues. Oh, that's cute. We yeah. did it again. What did I do? We did it again. We did? We oh, talked yeah. about the same thing. Yeah. We do that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can also sprinkle the oil around your home to help bring luck and wealth. Um, the bayberry tree is said to impart good luck and prosperity to the house next to which it is planted. So a lot of good luck and a lot of money and mm -hmm. a lot of good fortune coming um, by way of the bayberry tree. And it is also reported to have been used as a charm medicine to exercise spirits of the dead and to prevent diseases. To exercise spirits of the dead? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I know what you mean now. Yeah, I thought yeah. we were bringing back people from the dead, but that's not oh, what you said. No, no, no. No, like take them to work out. I got concerned. <laughs> uh, and funnily enough, for culinary use, has nothing to do with the berries. You can use the leaf much like you would a bay leaf, and you put it in oh. something. Because bay leaf is bay laurel, uh -huh. which grows in the same environment, and it's going to have very similar yes. flavors and aromas. I've looked at getting a bay laurel Yeah, tree. so you can use a bay berry leaf just just like that you would a bay sense. leaf okay and we actually one of the first things i did is i picked up the leaf and ripped it um and georgia smelled it before i did and it smell is a very pungent smell um at, at first nose glance it smells like maple syrup to me hmm. that's what we got from it she's like yeah. dad this smells like maple syrup and i'm like it kind of does hmm. um but it has a very interesting aromatic flavor yeah might be interested in trying to cook with it then. Yep. Um, one tidbit is that bayberry can cause vomiting in large doses. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of things can. A lot of things can do that. Side effects from ongoing ingestion include dizziness, dry eyes, mucous membranes, dry throat, cramping, and flatulence. Um, so this is not something that you want to consume daily, regularly, or in mm -hmm. high amounts. Um, it is to be used sporadically. Um, it can be eaten. The berries can be eaten. They're considered mildly toxic in high doses. But if you ate like a berry, mm -hmm. you're going to be fine. Um, one thing it was traditionally used for is toothpaste. The berries? Yeah, because uh, medicinally it is good for like bleeding, glump, bleeding gums and unhealthy mm -hmm. gums. Um, so many people traditionally use bayberry bark root powder as toothpaste and mixed it with cinnamon powder, echinacea root, and salt. That okay. was the toothpaste. Interesting. It sounds interesting enough. Easy enough. Um, aside from its use for sore throats and mouth ulcers, it's also beneficial for bleeding and or sensitive gums. Mm. I used to have those problems. Yeah. Medicinal qualities. Um, the carcinogenicity of the root bark has been reported. So there were a few studies that reported that the root bark is mildly carcinogenic, um, much a lot like your sassafras root Here's or many other things. A lot of things always have that potential. Some have that potential more mm -hmm. than others um, to be toxic or carcinogenic or hurt you in some kind of way. Um, and I read a lot where people are using these facts to deter you from using them for mm -hmm. their benefits. And instead want to point you to, quote, safer approved <laughs> options yeah. that have a laundry list of side effects. Petroleum-based drugs. And I'm just like, that's <laughs> eh, not yeah. how it works. Like, no. a negative does not completely wipe out 
its benefits, especially when the negative is dose-based. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and one other uh, just tidbit, one of the compounds, Miracadiol, um, which is one of the compounds in Bayberry. Yeah, Miracadol. Uh, <laughs> it, it's been shown to reduce sperm counts, um, kind of like a spermicide. Okay. So if you're trying to... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's the side of birth control we don't look at. Yeah, yeah. So if you're looking for birth control, it might help. If you're looking to make babies, maybe Baby. shy away from the well, bayberries. Yeah. Um, the constituents in bayberries are going to be tratropines, flavonoids, vitamin, vitamin P. Uh, tannins, it is very rich in tannins, which most of your wetland species that mm -hmm. grow on creeks and rivers are going to be very high in tannins. Um, phenols, resins, and gums. Mercadol has effects on potassium and sodium levels. I don't know how it affects them. There was no other information on that. Um, nothing listed it as a diuretic. Because typically your diuretics are notorious for over-excreting potassium and sodium. Mm -hmm. uh, the primary medicinal use of the bayberry comes from the root bark and can readily be bought in bulk from herb vendors and in supplement form. Mm -hmm. um, 19th century physicians used to prescribe a hot tea made from the powdered bark at the first signs of cold cough and flu. It does have a high concentration of tannin, so that's going to make it, uh, mm. Huh? The, my words escaped my brain. I see that. Yeah. What's the, what's, what does the tannins do? Yeah. Astringent. Yes. <laughs> We're two podcasts in. My 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 Bitter words ain't braining. Astringent. I yeah. have found a slew. I could probably do my own episode on Bayberry. Yeah. Oh yeah. I highly expect you to. Like um, I, a first thing that popped up when I searched. It's the next sentence. I have the words begin the next <laughs> sentence. And I did that on face. purpose, so I wouldn't forget. Why do you the... look at your so zoomed out? It's so tiny. Because I have better eyesight than you, you do. You know what? Oh. <laughs> so it does have a high concentration of tannins, which means that it's going to have very astringent properties for salves, for mm -hmm. external use, for things of that nature. Which um, brings me to what a fun fact I just found, because I may not do an episode on it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. The energetics yeah. of Bayberry are warming and drying, oh, like yeah. most astringents. Yeah. Um, and it also has emetic properties, um, and it is good for a digestive aid. In probably moderate amounts. Yes. If it both causes you to vomit and... Yes, moderate food. amounts. Um, it has also been used traditionally for female problems, so cramping, um, mm -hmm. menstrual bleeding, things of that Most nature. Most astringents is, are good for yeah, that And it's going to be good well, for alleviating yeah. that. The leaves have been used traditionally for fevers and infections related to a nasal passage, um, a chemical called... Myricitrin. Myricitrin has antibiotic properties. Um, it was utilized um, by the Choctaw to treat fevers. I didn't get a whole bunch of research on that, but it has been used traditionally mm -hmm. by Native Americans to treat fevers. So usually I trust them. Among Native Americans, the leaves were used to destroy parasitic worms. The leaves and stems were used for treating fever and the roots were applied as a poultice for cuts, scrapes, burns, things of that nature. Again, leading to its very astringent properties and its high yeah. tannins. Um, Anti-inflammatory and antioxidant activities have been demonstrated in one small clinical trial and in animal data. And some protective effects on the liver were seen in another small study. And that's all I've got on Bayberry because I found it this week and had to do <laughs> something on it. But this is something that There's I highly... There's a lot to it. Yes. I, this is something I want you to cover with your brain okay. all in depth. But I was just excited because I found something extremely useful in the woods behind the house. Yeah, because I, I found... I've already... I've just found one article in and I'm already finding a lot yeah. of really interesting And things. funny story is I wanted to go check on my mulberry trees before I did the podcast on mm -hmm. the mulberries. And that's this is under my mulberry tree. So oh. I found all of our podcasts that we're recording right. right now, all in like the same thing. So I kind of wanted to do them together. The Bayberry Wax is considered a vegan substitute for beeswax. I don't know why I didn't throw that in there because huh. that was kind of obvious. 
Yeah. Because I've always wondered that. Uh, and usually go to like soy pellets, oh, yeah. soy wax. Um, if I ever wanted to look into making vegan versions of my products, because they're not, I use beeswax. Um, but bayberry wax would be, you know, I'm not big on soy. Um, interesting. Anyway, yeah. I'll quit looking at it. Because no, it's I a bit, want, I want you to do that one again. But yeah, I had to do something about it. And the folk, the, just the candle part itself. It yeah. was like, how is there so much the tradition? The whole first uh, part of that blog was it being related to the sense of Christmas. And yeah. I was like, this would have made a perfect Christmas episode, apparently. I've never heard of Bayberry. No. Like, oh, I don't no. know. How did this escape us? We're uncultured swine. Uh, yeah. Because Americans don't teach us anything, so... America. America. <laughs> a bunch of deal holes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, hunt us down for some more. You can support us and our endeavors and get extra good content over on Patreon at patreon.com slash trees in weeds. That's trees in weeds. You can also find native trees in a bag of weeds on Instagram and Facebook. You can find our Facebook group where we would love for you to participate in our community with Join any questions, chat. just whatever you fill out posting there at Trees and Weeds, the Facebook group, Trees and Weeds. Yeah, um, you guys get on there and complain about me mispronouncing something. I don't care. We'd love to chit chat with you guys. Even absolutely. If, you know. Uh, but then, of course, you can also hunt us down over on Instagram at messy underscore living. And you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at your boy Jared Wade. And you can find any of the aforementioned links. You can find any content you want. You can even find the plants that I will have for sale and Messy's stuff that she has for sale, her bombs, salves, things of the like at trees-in-weeds.com. That site will lead you anywhere your heart so desires. <laughs> mm. uh... And until... <laughs> I I am talked out. So until next time, nature knows more than we do. We just got to learn about it. I mean, think about it. I mean, learn about it. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Do something. <laughs> <laughs>